the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 212 Breakdown. Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst and writer for MixedMartialAnalyst.com. And the sweet jams we are riding into the show with is uh, Portugal the Man, one of, one of my favorite bands. Uh, the song's called All Your Light. I uh, thought it was appropriate. Some, uh, some sweet lyrics that are uh, kind of appropriate for the main event, no matter which uh, perspective you're looking at it from. Also, a really underrated uh, music video like, on YouTube when you type in this uh, Portugal the Man All Your Light. It's like a claymation one. It's really cool. It tells a story. And then there also should be the RZA remix. Get some more bass, some more deeper cuts in the remix. And he put together, like, funded some crazy music video for it that's actually pretty cool. It tells a different story. And y'all know I'm a RZA fan. How do we know that, Dan? Well, because it's a Protect Your Neck podcast. Of course I love me some, some Wu-Tang. And to be honest, I don't really like much... Hip-hop past 2001. Anyways, neither here nor there. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this, sorry, coming out a little late. Oh, don't kill me, Blake. Blake from Loaded Joe's Podcast has got, got a gun in my head for any time I apologize. It's trained on me like a rifle. But no, seriously, uh, just, just just kidding, Blake. The show was a little bit late coming out today, but uh, neither here nor there. I'm excited. I'm excited at least for the main event. And don't get me wrong, we're going to go through bottom to top. Uh, don't you worry, don't you worry at all. But uh, but but first, just just some notes um, off the top, I guess before before we get started. Um, next two weeks might be a little weird. Uh, I'm probably gonna do something next week, but it's probably just gonna be real real light. Maybe like a, as far as the written breakdown goes, you know, maybe main event and just spotlight. Do one of my spotlights. I'll do from time to time when the UFC just gets a little redonkulous with their. Uh, with their schedule, a little too much weeks in a row, and with, you know, n- not up to their normal standards. Um, so, yeah, I might just do the main event and some other fights and just have my, you know, breakdowns uh, listed. And don't get me wrong, I'm still going to do the analysis and all that, and I'll still be here on the Protect Your Neck podcast because, uh, but but I am, honestly, I, I do have to lighten the load. Uh, between adulting, the list that is not getting done and need to just get done. Um, actually, I've been getting a lot of stuff done, to be honest, but there's just, just more that keeps coming. Good, good stuff. But, you know, adult stuff you just got to deal with. And, you know, other stuff, I'm not going to lie. Dan Tom does does need to have fun once in a while, but not fun for me uh, on my behalf, but on others. You know, uh, my man Brian, who we'll see if we'll do, that, we'll see if we do an after-party edition, but he's usually on the after-party editions. Uh, it's, it's my best friend. It's his 30th birthday. We're going out to the lake that day of uh, the Hunt Derek Lewis fight. So I think we'll be back for the main card for that. Um, but uh, I'll miss the prelims and all that junk. So, I mean, I'm just going to be a little lighter as far as maybe my from my presence to Twitter to the written breakdown of presence. Because, again, uh, regardless of whether or not I do the legwork, I mean, I can still offer a good opinion. But even when I do the legwork, it's what takes longer than, like, you know, the hours. I always say the 40 to 50 hours a week study. What honestly takes the longest is, like, the fucking 10 hours of transcript. Or not just transcript, but it doesn't take me 10 hours to transcribe. But I guess the whole process of uh, with these written breakdowns that I have to do, because, again, I, uh, 
I'm not the best uh, coder editor, uh, editor on many levels, but I have to do all these roles as a one-man show here uh, right now. So, um, and it's cool. I'm a, uh, I, I like doing things uh, that way, unfortunately, because a lot of times that means it's, it's, it's kind of the harder way. But until you're in a position where you can delegate duties, uh, you got to hustle, and I, I hustle. So if it sounds like I'm behind the gun, believe me, it's not from procrastination. It's from realization and uh, just fucking constantly going after it. But even me, I, I got to give myself a rest. No need to explain myself or make excuses. I'm sure you all support it. Probably like, God damn it, Dan, take a fucking rest. Well, yeah. But uh, just warning you, it's probably going to be a little light next week. And then the week after that, I might just take uh, take off. There's there, There's some things going on. Including, uh, including my lady's anniversary, and uh, I gotta treat her right, man. It's been I've been putting up with my my busy ass and stuff, and uh, I kind of missed out on the last uh, main uh, boyfriend dealio. So, anyways, but uh, I gotta I gotta, gotta 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 be good, you know. You gotta you gotta, you gotta make sure everything. Uh, make make sure you treat the people who are there for you the way they need to be treated. Now, I thankfully have a great best friend, great girlfriend, very low maintenance people, all good. But you know. It's time to be human once in a while. Anyways, neither here nor there. Just just giving you an explanation if we're a little light. So what I might do instead, you know, we'll still do some breakdowns, touch on the cards, maybe I'll have some guests on to do that. A little more looser format. We might, you know, might actually sound more a little bit more like a, a other MMA podcast for what it's worth as far as more loose banter and less less sticking to format and, and random rants as we do here in the Protect Your Neck podcast. Maybe we'll sneak in some top fives. You let me know. I know there's been a lot of people asking for the top fives as well as people asking to be on top five, so... Maybe I'll just insert that. Either way, I'm not going to lighten up is the point when it comes to the Protect Your Neck podcast. Um, so if you're listening, good on you. But uh, as far as the written stuff, Dan Tom might have to break his streak. Fucking, I think all I have to do is make it to like August, the beginning of August. And that makes two years without missing a single card. I know. The fuck is wrong with me? And on that note, let's get to this card. <laughs> UFC 212. And, and and as I'm touching on this, let me just a quick uh, side note. As we're getting into this, I, I just did a whole run going from bottom to top, which was good. Got my engines tuned up, got my excitement fired up, and I even picked up some new points from the people I just podcasted with. That is, yes, thank you, at MMA Kelton. Thank you, Kelton, for having me on your show, your channel. Go sus- go follow him on Twitter, subscribe to his channel. We had a nice roundtable for UFC 212, which was we were joined with my man, at Rockstar Z. Z, thank you as well. Uh, you know, always, always enjoy chopping up the fights with you guys and stuff. So, uh, if I reference them, uh, or points that were talked about, which I, yeah, if I, which I probably will at some point, cause there were some good points made all, all, all around the table. Uh, I, I, uh, just let you know, that's why I guess, because I just, I just got done with that, but it's good because now it's like all these facts are fired up. Whereas most times, uh, I'll record it, and of course, you know, it's just, you know, it's before I, I go on anyone else's show usually, or go read it, or listen to anybody else's show for that matter, to be honest. So, a lot of times I'll be talking, and then there's so much stuff I miss, even if it's stuff that uh, I already, you know, not, not from other people, even stuff from me, like, I just, you know, you miss it and stuff, so. I'm hoping maybe we'll get a better, uh, better well-rounded read on the fights, and, and with the on that note, I'll also make sure to try to keep it concise and not ramble too long. So let's waste no time. The first fight is Divison Alcantara, or as I called, Alcantara gets a little confusing, and it's just got a weird, it's the weird Figueroa Brazilian variation, so I don't want to produce his last name. So we'll just go Divison, uh, or as I said, uh, Dennis the Menace, Brazilian Dennis the Menace versus Mexican Dennis the Menace, Marco Beltran. That's not his nickname, by the way, but it is now. Um, who is coming back at a plus 120, that is Marco Beltran versus... You know the debutante is getting a 
is getting favorite numbers there by uh by just a little bit. Hold on one second, I'll see what my dog's barking at. Hopefully it's not an intruder. Everybody be cool. You be cool. All's well here, but sorry about that. Just the dog's playing his games, uh playing his guard dog games. Anyways, Marco Beltran versus uh Brazilian Dennis the Menace. Um, I, I got Brazilian Dennis the Menace here, uh, minus one forty. Uh, I'm not playing anything on it, although that is a very playable line. But uh, they're both a little wild, except there's more techniques going forward, and more importantly, off the counter for for Devison uh, Alcantara. Um, he's got that kind of a uh, inside angle left cross uh, counter steps back. But problem is he's got really low hands, and Marco Beltran, albeit wild, you know. He can hit. I mean, Reginaldo Vieira is really tough. And granted, it was a key up kick um, that caused the beginning of the end for him, for him to get choked out. You know, uh, Vieira, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, respectable. Um, but he got choked out by Beltran because of, there was an up kick that landed a little bit before that. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, the thing with Beltran is the reason why I'm, I guess, the wildness is dangerous and it what keeps him alive. But it's also what kind of has me picking against him because he's... he's He's sticking with Yair as far as he, he moved, he's been moving camps wherever he goes. And so now he's up with Yair as far as Valley Flow striking, at least for this camp, according to social media. And Mike Valley, you know, I hear, you know, I don't hear anything bad about um, what I do from what little I know. Um, one thing I, I, I do hear, you know, slash kind of can tell with his style is that he's more of a coach that doesn't try to coach habits, even if it's bad ones that probably should be coached out of his fighters. He's more of a. Um, John Kavanaugh, not, not direct comparison, but in the spirit and dynamic coaching role of I'm going to just not so much foster because there's a way to foster it and kind of guide what someone's natural at and put it, you know, it's always nice to have that balance in the middle, but it seems like most coaches either give their fighter a little bit too much lease in other words, or tighten them up where you're just changing the fighter, right? So those are the kind of the two common culprits as far as coach fighter, uh, relations where you can kind of project where the skill set's going or why the skill set looks the way it looks. And so that doesn't make me too excited, even though Marco Beltran is at that age where he should be having those fight-to-fight improvements. So it's just, yeah, it's a whole bunch of stay away, essentially. But what I do like about the ground game, I mean, there's a little, uh, you know, the striking can kind of be a crapshoot, although I kind of told you why I like Alcantara as far as more dynamics, especially in the counter where it's really relevant in this matchup where you have a wild guy that swings low and retracts or strikes low like Beltran. But on the ground... Uh, Devison, a little bit of footage there. He like he he'll opt for ground and pound more than uh, submissions, but he's a really good positional player. Like he's he's clamping on the hips and keeping his hips over other other guys' hips when he's you know standing up and posturing from the guard to to strike down, or even when he's in positions like half guard, he's doing something that I always kind of champion: shoulder pressure, and uh, you know where he's pressing his shoulder to the head of his opponent, making them face their head away, which you know. Uh, kills their mobility, if anything, maybe forces them to kind of turtle out the other way and give their back since they can't play into you, right? You always want to make your opponent's face face away from you as kind of a rule of thumb of grappling from top position. Uh, he does that, and as I'll, you know, as I explained on the last podcast, and I've explained on this podcast a couple times, is whether you're facing like a leg lock guy, like a Marcin Held, like a really talented, dangerous guy that wants to debase you, get underneath you, or just a guy that just is kind of scrambly by nature because he's athletic, he's wild, he's novice or whatever. Sometimes that, that scrambliness can help them, right? Because they'll get out of positions other guys don't because other guys know, are almost too smart for their own good. They know the fear of when they try to stand up against Jacare Su that it's going to make it worse. So they just kind of stand there and get eaten alive, right? 
whereas you get those wild kind of intangible guys like a Marco, Marco Beltran, athletic, wild in spirit, they're going to kind of explode to their feet, take the risk, and it's going to pay off a lot of times um, where it, it'll compensate for that skill gap. The problem is um, if you're grappling with a guy that is good at head control, it shut down a lot of that because you know the old rule of thumb in sports and in many martial arts where the head goes, the body must follow. So again, anytime there's a grappler, whether he's scrambly or like a leg lock guy looking to get under and debase you, the thing I look for and just tip for you if you're trying to break down these fights to that level, you want to see what the guy's doing. Is he, is he pinning the head? Is he stopping that head? And Davison shows to do that. Um, I like him here, but no play. All right, next one is also a no play. Uh, Judo Jim Wallhead versus Luan Chagas. I, I like both guys and picked both guys the last time out. I thought Jim Wallhead won the last time out. Reviewed the tape. I still thought he won. The problem is Jim Wallhead didn't think that he won. Jim Wallhead, even Judo Jimmy, in his best rounds of that fight against Ayari, he was just looking dejected. And that's really tough and telling, especially when you have the commentator, a f- personal friend and training partner like Dan Hardy, who's pointing out, Maybe not in so much broad strokes, but if you can read between the lines, you hear what Dan Hardy was saying. There's confidence issues there, and that's kind of been the looming thing. That's why, you know, Judo Jimmy, well, I'm so glad to see him in the UFC, but because he's always been that guy that's been lingering outside, you know, from the Bama to Cage Warriors kind of circuits up there. And, and again, top talents in those things uh, that a lot of people, maybe casuals, don't realize, but... Uh, Judo Jim, unfortunately, might have made it to the UFC a little too late. I mean, we saw... Granted, I, I think that, you know, Ayari is deceptively athletic and hits deceptively hard. But, you know, it's not the first fight when you go back and look at, you know, Judo Jim's fights. Even just going back maybe even as far as four or five years, you kind of start to see trends as far as damage. And, you know, you hear things in the gym and he's got good technique and he's a smart dude. And I, I, I or, you know, at least from the interviews I hear, it seems pretty... Uh, you know, uh, as far as like pretty aware of himself, but maybe he's too aware of himself is what I'm trying to say. You know, he's too aware. You see that doubt kicking in. Whereas Chagas, I like Chagas. Chagas even, I think, I, yeah, I picked him against Sergio Moraes back at uh, 198. And that ended up being a draw. So he made me look not too crazy there. Uh, Luan Chagas, that is, you know, he earned his medal there. But um, Chagas, you know, he's still young and he shows it, unfortunately. He costed himself some key positions in that fight. And he definitely, that youngness showed through. As I believe that's what costed him. You know, he got tired. But energy management, risk management was way off in his last fight against Eric Silva and paid for it. Even though he almost finished Silva like three or four times. Still, that doesn't scare me off. Um, I don't expect to be a complete different fighter. Although Chagas is in the age of fight-to-fight improvements. Whereas Wallhead, I would argue, is not it. I think he's 37. Um... But still, I don't. Not that being said, it's not like I'm expecting Chagas to be come, you know, come out and, and just all of a sudden have the best fight IQ in the world. But I think his ability to move laterally and fight from both stances, put together shots from hard, awkward angles, is really going to be problems for Judo Jimmy. Uh, Judo Jimmy's grappling is more in a stifling notion, and I'm not even sure how much he's going to stifle Chagas, who I believe has an advantage once it goes to the floor. Um, so. I like Chagas a lot here. He didn't make the pieces for my parlay largely at the 11th hour because of price tag, but I did play him inside the distance because that price tag kept me away um, as far as... You can still use him for parlay fodder. I might have used him for one, but as far as straight plays go, minus 255 is a little too much. Jim Wall had plus 215 uh, the comeback, at least right now, recording Thursday uh, afternoon, late afternoon. Um late evening or early evening uh, Pacific Coast time. Dan, do you even know what time zone you're in? No? 
No, still trying to figure it out, but bear with me. Till I figure that out, let's move on to the next fight, which, <laughs> surprise, surprise, avoid, avoidless, Viviani Pereira versus Jamie Moyle. Um, you know, Pereira, I mean, inspiring story. Her, her parents were, you know, migrated from the Wonka factory when she was young so she could have a hopes at a, at a, at a life in the octagon rather than making sweets. Sorry, bad and Palumpa jokes, but... Uh, no, um, but yeah, she's the pick, and believe me, I wouldn't mind being wrong here. Not that I, one, I'm not playing anything, so it don't matter to me as far as pocketbook. But Jamie Moyle, you know, she's a Vegas girl. We both went to CSN, uh, although I didn't train at Syndicate. We trained in similar circles. We both fought for Tough Enough. You know, like I like seeing her do well. It was, was, was uh, you know, although she beat, beat Kylan Curran uh, uh, last time out, uh, not the most impressive. It was nice seeing her, you know, get that win, and I believe she cashes an underdog there. Not for me. I didn't play it, but, you know, for what that's worth. Um, the problem is she – the difference is in the strikes and the takedowns in the clinch. And more specifically, the common thread of the strikes and the takedown in the clinch is the lack of hip and explosion. Um, not that Pereira is an explosive athlete by any means, but there's some popster punches. And uh, it took her a while to kind of get in that groove and start having confidence in that and the turno fight. But when you watch her, her regional fights, you know, it's there. It's just was hard to tell. I mean, regional female fights in Brazil, you're not getting the best competition. No offense. So that was kind of out in the open. And although, again, that wasn't an impressive performance by any stretch against Valerie Letourneau, you saw some of those things there. And in the clinch, she was able to turn the corner. Whereas Moyle, even though she was doing enough, to, did enough to win scorecards, she was having trouble getting down uh, Curran, who she did get down, but from, for the most of the time, the most of the attempts, because there was a lack of that cur uh, corner turning there. But what I will say, though, is when they're both on top, even though I think Pereira is going to be on top more, I think Moyle would do better on top in the sense that she has better fundamentals. Like, Pereira will put her hands on the mat. And, and, and like, as you saw, Letourneau, although she got the defense where it counts because Letourneau wasn't able to get anything off. But Letourneau worked, like, three things. She worked, like, an Irish collar, uh, you know, knee inside the bicep triangle threat. She worked an overhook uh, guard threat. And then she worked almost like a shoulder pin off to the side high guard. Like, and two were on the left arm and one were one was isolating the right arm like she was going left to right just kind of trying out options like you don't that, even though the Letourneau didn't get anything that's not good from prayer it's not, not what you like to see whereas Moyle when she did get on top Curran you saw her hands were immediately in the bicep um, similar you know GSP head to head you know which is always good to stay out of submissions and if you want to strike you want to have your head level to where your opponent is hands inside the bicep is very classic uh, uh, fundamentals for fighting inside the guard you want to look for um, for if y'all even care about that, but, but I do. <laughs> all right. Next fight, Brian Kelleher versus Yuri Alcantara. Wait, are they all my, oh, no, no. Yeah, that's right. This is, this is the third, last official void. My bad. Yep. Yeah. Brian Kelleher, uh, plus 270, Yuri Alcantara, minus 330. Uh, the picks Alcantara, uh, you know, I, I like him as a, as a Southpaw, although his thing is, is volume, which, you know, could bite him in the butt here as far as scorecards, but the problem is, even though I wasn't able to get footage on Kelleher's last fight, I was able to watch a lot of his fights before that and actually know some people who fought him, um, including his last loss, Andy Main. Um, Andy, Andy's cool guy. I met him at Alliance. He's at, Andy's actually from the East Coast, but I met him at Alliance because Miles Jury had brought him in for the Gomi camp, and, uh, you know, Andy's a real, real guard whiz, as you see that triangle that he puts on... Uh, that he put that 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 he puts on uh, uh that's right. Brian Kelleher. Uh, it's really fast. Um, so again, there's no shame in that lost. 
There's no shame, shame in that loss, uh, Brian's last loss. And, and he's fought some decent guys since, you know, since uh, Andre Sukumta and uh, and uh, one of those guys have a garbage record, but the guy he fought the fight tw- twice had a decent record. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so it's not it's not total scrubs, but he's going to have to step it up another level if he wants to make that volume count for Alcantara, who, again, he has this classic weird kind of really broad, blunt 45 angle across the body liver kick, and then he has his patent, you know, counter left hand. Um which we, we saw have effect all the way up at like 155 when he fought uh, Lamas. Um, yeah, so he should win this fight. The, the problem is the price tag and Kelleher's ability to wrestle and stay out of submissions. Um, not only stay out of submissions, even though Alcantara is just as, you know, I don't want to say just as quick because he's older now, but as far as you know, techniques go, you know, um, go watch that Andy Main, by the way, Brian Kelleher, and then go kind of... Comp- it's it, it, he gets them before he even has to chain, whereas Alcantara chains a whole bunch. But you kind of see the similarities, and and Alcantara is much more impressive, to be honest, because he has to like chain three times just to just to get picket. Um, but yeah, yeah, he should win. But the price tag is keeping me away, and just something seems weird about a uh, Kelleher. Kind of that, uh, not a strong intangible or strong attitude intangible, but. I don't know. So, so, something kind of, you know, I, I do see something potentially being there. Like, not, again, not a high ceiling or anything, but, like, I guess what I'm waiting for to see is, 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 is Brian Kelleher going to be maybe like a Frankie Science type guy, you know, a, a real utility player, a real utility fighter that can that can be real useful as far as gambling goes in certain matches in the mid-tier ranks. So I guess that's what I mean. All right, next fight. Um, I do feel confidence. First parlay piece, so we have Matthew Lopez at minus 170, which the line is still at. Uh, Jenny, the comeback on Johnny Eduardo plus one fifty. Um, although I wasn't entirely, you know, discounting, you know, Alcantara or like not discounting, but I mean, warning about him or because of his age or anything. But this is another. It's a couple older bantamweights on this card, and this is another one. Johnny Eduardo, and uh, you know, and you know, the age it's always troublesome, especially when you're mixing age with lighter weight, and you're depending on reaction time, um, striking, and these things that kind of are more reliant on your physical and also nerve, <laughs> like uh, you know, condition, right? Which it's worn on over time, and. Like my man Z said, when we were breaking things down, the time off that you could also point to Johnny Eduardo as a flag, you could argue is a good thing, which I agree, for somebody who has all those miles. Because, you know, Johnny Eduardo has been fighting since 1996. That's right. Yep. Yep. Dan Tom was in the sixth grade. That's right. 96, baby. Um, Johnny Eduardo. So, I mean, that being said, he has his path, you know. Uh, he's got that classic left hook, right hand uh, that Novo and Yao fighters do in their slate, both coming forward and off the counter. And we saw that left hook counter land uh, on uh, Lopez when he fought Mitch Gagnon. But uh, I like Lopez, man. He has that intangible um, where I actually took a shot on him against Yaya, even though he ended up getting submitted. Which, again, I chalked that up to being young because you were playing in and taking risks. And not just playing into the grappling, but like taking risks that would end you up on bottom against a guy like Ronnie Yaya. Like very needless risks in that fight that ended up catching up with him. And... Uh, and not just playing into a fighter's strength and, and being young about it, but playing into a fighter who arguably is in that game over territory that we talk about. Ronnie Yaya absolutely is one of those fighters. Um, so it's very excusable. And then you look at it and go, and well, he's maybe not that young. He's 30, but, you know, MMA Miles, he's a bit young. He came to the sport late. And as a wrestler, 
Not only do wrestlers do good coming into the sport with that classic trope, which is obviously not completely true now. There's just so many more factors. But yes, that is one because of the one-on-one combat experience because that really does allow these guys to kind of come in later. Uh, And Lopez, too, you also have to look that he was the wrestling coach for Rain Training Center and all those guys, right? And even when that thing was still in business before like the year of disarray, before it went out, all those guys were all like training like Kings and all these different like other places still and jumping around. It didn't seem like there was a lot of consistency there. And I hate to say it because I love a lot of the fighters that came from there. But as that place fell apart, you kind of saw that with the fighters who trained there, whether it was their performances, their records. And even if it wasn't, the consistency I was like I was talking about from jumping from gym to gym, which probably affects to their, their, their game some measure. So not only was he a coach kind of getting shoved in because he was a wrestler and, you know, you're going to get matchups that are above your, your grade. When you're learning even to do this stuff to prepare you to, a f- to fight, well, guess who you're doing with? The guys you're coaching. High-level, top-of-the-food-chain guys. So, I mean, um, there's a lot of intangibles that would explain why it might take, you know, as talented as Lopez is, Lopez is it may, may take, you know, up until now or maybe even a little longer for things to start to click. Uh, that being said, the positive is he seems to be out of that scene and is up in Denver, Colorado since his last fight and this fight, working with you know Trevor Smith and the guys at uh, all that whole big team there at Genesis, I believe they're calling it now, which was like former Muscle Farm. So I really like that. And even though you know he did make some mistakes like throwing the naked uppercut and this and that, he was fainting. He was doing in and out, you know, from the southpaw stance to switching up, moving laterally. Like again, there's still a lot of improvement that needs to be done. But the fact that he's already implementing it. I like it, and he, he 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 can fight through adversity. I like it. He's got balls. I like it. He can be tired and hit a takedown when a guy's coming at him. I really like that in this matchup because I think that's what he's going to do uh, before he even gets tired. I think he's going to take Eduardo down. Eduardo comes from a camp with good takedown defense, but he's more toward the bottom of the totem pole, um, in my opinion, as far as that takedown defense goes. Uh, we did see an improvement, though. Uh, in his last fight, but that was an aging, gonna retire Manny Gamburian, who is more gets his takedowns from the judo clinch. You know his shot's not that great, especially an older Manny who's taking damage, cutting ridiculous amounts of weight, and you know already has a foot out the door. Um, secondly, the takedowns that do work on Eduardo and a lot of Novo and Yao fighters uh, is single legs because the double leg is is so much more common when. Someone's pressuring for you. Barely people reach down for a signal. They're gonna. You're much more likely to hit a knee or catch a guillotine. Usually, you want to counter their explosive pressure with explosive pressure of your own. Hence, the level changing double, and or when you're fighting inside a cage, not only fighting inside a cage, but trading in a place like Nova and Yao, where it's close walls, you get really good at wall wrestling and wrestling in general. So, a lot of the takedowns that are they're probably seeing on a day to day basis is going to be doubles for the most part. That's why, in my opinion. Single legs tend to, if you're just going to play by the odds blindly, um, that's probably your safest bet against a Novo and Yao fighter. Eduardo seems to have trouble with that takedown. And Lopez does it well. He does reactionary shots well. He hits lateral drops from the clinch. Does more traditional inside-outside reaps, trips. Uh, I think he gets Eduardo down uh, pretty handedly uh, as long as he can avoid those the, the, those a few brief scary moments entering. And again, I believe that there's striking improvements. Is he going to outstrike him? No. But I believe there's enough there to show that he's he is going to take it to the ground. That does seem to be a program. Unfortunately, it works against him when he's going against a game over guy like Ronnie Yaya. But it's I think it's going to work out for him fine here. Uh, so I played him straight up in the parlay piece and uh, by submission, uh, plus 175. 
which is kind of almost the mirror opposite of his straight-up line. So since I did that, that means he's probably going to lose, so don't follow me there. Just <laughs> do whatever you want. All right, next fight, Eric Spicely versus Antonio Carlos Jr. This is one where I came in like feeling really, really strong for Antonio Carlos Jr. And people I respect, like uh, Daniel Levy. Shout-out to Daniel Levy. I know played him big, and, and other people I respect as well. Um, to casual betters I see on my Twitter timeline. I don't blame you. In fact, the line's creeping down now. It's a minus 235. I may throw them in some fun parlays now uh, that it's getting down more to that territory. But it wasn't solely the price tag. I think there's some live things with Eric Spicely here. Again, he's not going to have the high, Eric Spicely's not going to have the highest ceiling. He's not the most athletic guy. He makes plenty of mistakes. But if somebody's making improvements, those need to be noted, especially if they're legitimate improvements during a time where they're supposed to improve. To ignore that would be would, would be silly. And uh, Spicely shows that, you know. Um, whereas Antonio Carlos Jr., for the hype, the athleticism and build that he clearly has, I feel, and I feel like, I didn't, I don't feel that I had as big expectations as most people, especially the odds makers for what he's been classically lined throughout his career. But I, I do, I did have, you know, pretty decent expectations, but no, I, he hasn't come close to any of those from anybody's level, in my opinion, because... We essentially see him win fights the same way he won fights early in his career by smothering guys. He either smothers them to submission or kind of wears them out because he's got the size advantage uh, where he can kind of blanket guys, especially as he dropped down in weight throughout his career, right? The problem is even with guys where, you know, I, I picked, you know, Vittori against him, granted, and there were, you know, he kind of showed why even though he didn't win. But there are guys like Vittori who... Although it's good fundamentals, and again, you know, just like wrestling's not an end-all, be-all. Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, uh, even Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt champion, is no longer an end-all, be-all in today's game. Um, but still, we saw we 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 saw you know Carlos Jr. Um, you know he he didn't get like significantly rocked or anything. He's blanking blanketing him up against the fence for the most part, and we see him wear himself down to a certain extent. I don't want to overplay that uh, again with the Dan Kelly fight. Uh, you know, Z and Kelton reminded they you know, Dan Kelly broke his nose. Not that you need me to, to uh, defend Dan Kelly because you know I defend Dan Kelly almost every podcast. It feels like the old the old walking knee joint there. So I'm not condemning Carlos Jr. In other words, for the Dan Kelly loss. But there is something there. Now, I don't see like a Worley Alves fade type kind of thing there for Carlos Jr., but there is something there. And as far as the striking, that's where really the curve really bothers me as far as not seeing. You know, he's still kind of throwing in ones and twos, that pawing jab, the really pawing check hook that's barely even has anything on it. And then he's got his hard, powerful kicks. But again, it's primarily ones and twos. The footwork he plants, he's kind of, and he kind of plods to an extent. And it's good. He lowers his level, so he's not going to you know, give up takedowns that he doesn't want to. He's there to, to, to throw with power. You know, he definitely has more power. Um, I definitely give him you know, the slight edge standing, but it is a very slight edge standing over Eric Spicely. Eric Spicely is not a great striker by any means, but you go look from the tough house to what's there on his regional uh, stuff to his, you know, his UFC fights, which you know, are only one round, one round affairs. Um, there's a progression in that very last fight after that TriStar stint because, again, these last two years he's been jumping between Denver, Colorado, TriStar. And now, especially for this camp, my backyard is Syndicate MMA, training with guys like El Durte Sanchez, uh, Khalil Roundtree, uh, having uh, John Wood uh, sharpen his hands in his Muay Thai. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's, there, there's, there, there's something there. And I even made the argument that as far as athletic, as far as moving in and out, stick and moving, like – 
I think he's a better he's better. Eric Spicely is more athletic in that sense as far as a stick and move striker. Um, and again, like he's the best stick and move striker. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he does it slightly better than Antonio. Not even slightly. He does that aspect of striking better than excuse me Antonio Carlos Jr. and and again, I'm not saying he's gonna you know be a world beater or outstrike Carlos Jr. here, but if you're a guy like Spicely whose striking's not your strength and the other guy has more power and you don't want to get hit by that power and you're not the best striker and you're an underdog and your objective is to win the fight, well, sticking and moving's a pretty good, pretty good idea. So if that seems to be where he's going naturally as, as he's developing, because again, he's developing, he's a young cat. Um, you know, he's in that age. You know, again, he doesn't look like the most athletic specimen, but he's in that he's in that range where he's going to make those jumps right here. You know, the biggest jumps in the world, probably not. Um, big enough to make an indent on the fight, probably not. I'm picking Carlos Jr. I'm, I'm probably going to play him if the line keeps dropping. But as a devil's advocate, I think he's good enough to stay safe. And if he can put a pace, and Carlos Jr. does show uh, signs of fading again, well, it could get interesting. That's all I'm saying to play devil's advocate. Otherwise, I got Carlos Jr. here. Uh, moving on, Marlon Moraes, minus 160 with versus Rafael Sunsau, plus 140. Um, man, I respect I, I respect a Sunsau, but Moraes is the second piece of the parlay. Uh, man, I usually try to bet debutantes, but Moraes has that intangible. And forget the intangible, all that bullshit. He has the skills. He has the resume. He deserves your respect if you weren't paying attention to him, you know? Uh, he first came onto my scene. I was following the plane crash of Miguel Torres to see where it was land to see if I could, you know, just go check for survivors. I say that in all love because I, I like Miguel Torres, but let's be honest, the last four years were real tough to watch. Um, and I saw him, you know, with that split decision against Mom Mariah. I'm like, who the fuck is this cat? And since then, he's impressed, man. And you, the thing I noticed first about him, well, you know, was the kicking game, especially that right sweeping kick, and was not surprised to find out, you know, he trained, and not just trained, but childhood friends with, like, Edson Barbosa since they were, like, ages up to, like, 9 or 11 or some crazy shit, you know? Moved with Edson from Brazil to Florida um, when they were living in Florida. Went with him to do the part-time training with Mike Henry Camp. Then when Edson made the permanent move to Jersey, he did too. So, I mean, it's it's he's kind of followed Edson where he goes to train. And you, you can hear Henry, Mark Henry in his corner, you know, all the way back to, I think, 2013 or those fights back then. And he's just a really well-trained fighter, you know. And I see the kicks really having an effect on Sun Tso. And Sun Tso can counter kicks and take down. But Marlon Moraes is just so quick and so precise when he throws it. And more importantly... What I like is his hand positioning. You'll see, and it's for balance. You kind of have to. You'll see, uh, let's say you're an orthodox fighter throwing just a right high kick from your power stance. Okay, very easy to for all, all of us listening to get that image in our head. Usually, what happens is the hand, you know, the hand, the left hand facing forward, uh, that, that 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 is more forward, kind of goes up to, to protect the head, to shell the head, and the right hand kind of goes down past the kicking foot, and you see that cool karate kicking pose where they the, they all take the picture of. But I like Moraes because he actually is able, he has this great balance where he can kick to the head, but he can keep both of his hands pretty close to his face. And not that that matters uh, unless somebody is punching or countering at that specific time, which does happen. But more importantly, he brings his hands up to his face because he has like this check hook that he uses to counterbalance as he comes down from the kick because you are slightly off balance. And if you are off balance, you are open. Now, you are slightly off balance and open I'm talking about. Right after you throw a kick, there's a small window there. That's where you get countered, you know, especially if a guy is going to faint bait counter you, which um, a Sun Tso is capable of doing. If you look at his his fight style and history, especially over the last like 
four years or so. I know he's been injured a lot of that, but anyways, what I like is Marais always has that like check hook coming right behind it, and you you see that implanted when you go back and watch fights from years past. Um, so I really like that. But a Sun Tao is a veteran, man. I mean, you have to be to be. Again, he's been fighting for a long time. Off the top of my head, I want to say 2004, 2003. I don't know. You go back, though, you start seeing names like Joe Lozon and stuff in there, you know, and he was at 155. I mean, and now he's, again, older, another older Brazilian bantamweight. But uh, I'm not willing to throw those accusations or shade, but, you know, he hasn't exactly looked like a world beater, although he had tough matches and, and, and you know... Say what you will about the Sterling fight. Sterling was an improved version of himself. I don't think he expected that. I know I didn't. I didn't expect Sterling to all of a sudden have punches in his arsenal and, you know, be countering, stepping back, throwing right hand, you know. And uh, I think that kind of caught him off guard and made that a closer fight than it, than than maybe he or other people thought it was going to be. I mean, he still won, but, but you know, still, I mean, they're, they're, they're a little possible... A little possible signs there. Uh, that being said, I, I really like Rafael Sanzano's veteran savvy. I just don't think he's going to get himself into the scrambles, which will lead to the dominant positions that he will need to establish to win this fight, especially when you're used to a scrambler and a guy, you know, uh, you, just Frankie Edgar is your main training partner. And granted, Frankie Edgar doesn't take the back, but Frankie Edgar is one of the best scramblers who always goes to the back. Usually he'll kind of re-wrestle in for a double like he did with Uriah Faber and just kind of replant you on your ass, which is demoralizing. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to train him to at least keep his hips, keep keep circling as, he, as Marlon Mariah circles so well with when opponents do try to take him down. So I, I like that. The, the, the value matches it. I played it straight up. Uh, I couldn't figure out a decision or inside the distance. If you want to take a shot, there's decent value. I, I, I there's decent value. I, I've stayed away as for now, but I just have him straight up and in some parlays. Marlon Marais. Okay, all right. On that note, we are gonna take a break. And when we come back, we are gonna break down the main card of UFC 212 right here in the Protect Your Neck podcast. And we're back right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for the UFC 212 breakdown. Aldo versus Holloway. Drinking myself a nice double prairie, a prairie double IPA is pretty pretty good here. Pretty good. Uh, prairie Brewery, by the way, if they are in your area, I suggested it ain't bad. But all right, we're back. We're gonna start with the main card. Yancey Medeiros, who is I believe opened as the dog. I missed it. I wasn't even looking. Um, so maybe that's why I was surprised to see him as a favorite because he he did open as a dog as I believe he should have. Uh, but he is minus 145 now, and the comeback on his opponent, Eric Silva, plus 125. This is one where I came in apparently in the same side as the odds makers and favoring Eric Silva. Size advantage, more paths to victory, and say what you will about Eric Silva, but you know he's making improvements. Uh, his last couple fights, he's actually showing fundamentals. He's actually fainting. He's keeping his, his, his guard up. Granted, just your traditional shell. Uh, working off a jab, like this is crazy. But he's gonna need to faint, which is the key words, and keep his hands up. But really need to faint, because man, uh, Yancy Medeiros, uh, 
does you know the term educated left hand it could be a, a blanket term but really it, it's appropriate for Yancy Medeiros uh, I, I like the way he kind of throws it out there and but now it's kind of crazy he's doing it more with his right hand he would switch stance for a couple years but now you know he came out southpaw in his last last fight against Sean Spencer but yeah the reason why Eric Silva is going to need to feign it because from both stances Yancy Medeiros has a really nice check hook that I cannot stop seeing which is why I'm leaning toward Medeiros sometimes there's just those fights where Okay, I'm not that confident on this pick, but this is the pick. Okay, I'm medium confident. Okay, I'm really confident, right? But then there's even like a level beyond really confident. Or maybe it's just it doesn't even match any of that color scheme. We throw that scale. It's a whole new scale altogether, which is, and we've all had it, uh, whether you're analyst, better, or fan, you get a vision. And I'm not trying to be like, woo, woo, vision, you know, or anything that bullshit. But you get a vision. You kind of just see how the pl- the fight plays out. And, and sometimes you go with it and sometimes you go against it. And I'm... I try to go with it more, but not go with it blindly. Like, for example, I should have gone with it with McGregor versus Alvarez because all I saw was that that left, uh, that counter left. But I refused to believe, and I went with Alvarez, and I was wrong. Um, and there are plenty of times where I was right. I'm just saying, like, just kind of to give you an idea. Um, this one, though, and in another fight we'll get to later in the card. But this one, I have the same thing. I just see that check hook for Yancey Medeiros all day on an incoming Eric Silva. Um... I think Eric Silva's best route to win, which would still be enough to justify him. You know, with that said, I still think Eric Silva should be the favorite because, you know, his path is on the ground. He's really good on top, not just you know jujitsu, but a really good top game. Uh, you know, explosive wrestling. He would kind of use poorly and throw himself out of position, but there was a lot there to like. Um, the thing is, I don't. It wasn't as as quite as good as I remembered. And Yancy Madero's who I found out, I guess he grew up doing wrestling like junior high, high school, and, you know, most, most of us Hawaiians don't have much education past high school, so I'll just leave it at that. I'm sorry, Hawaiians, I'm Hawaiian. I'm not just speaking the truth, all right? There's beaches and shit to go do. Let's, I don't fucking blame you. There's a bunch of kids running around in, in, in heel doing the same shit. Oh, how poetic. But anyways, um, but yeah, uh, what the fuck was I, what the fuck was I going with that? Oh yeah, yeah. Medeiros' wrestling is better than I better than I thought. You know, he doesn't just show your basic hip and like underhook fundamentals, but he's really good at circling and angling. I mean, not just from his pivots from boxing, getting you know, he, he, he will stay uh, he will stay along the cage more than more than he should, but he's doing it on purpose. Now that doesn't make it forgivable. You know, that doesn't you know he can still lose the fight. Obviously, it's not good, but he has shown that when he doesn't want to be there. He can move away, which is probably why he's so comfortable being there in the first place, because he has good footwork and pivots. But we would see him get tagged, and although you, there's two arguments, it's like does he have a good chin or a bad chin? He's getting wobbly, and he almost has his deer on legs frame, and maybe because it's the skinnier frame of his body, at least that 155 version of his body, that was accentuating that Gumby-like response. Now, I think it was your classic case of cutting too much weight and I don't want to you know bring views the term blanket terms or painting in broad strokes maybe in a more appropriate term I don't want to paint in broad strokes here because that is the popular theory right like Robert Whitaker is that and I champion I'm the guy that champions that too I, I get it but this isn't a Robert Whitaker situation this isn't somebody that's growing Yancy Medeiros is a guy that was walking around at 245 pounds and he's 5'10 and as a Hawaiian who's 5'9 I can tell you it's hard to make even 155, I have no clue how Max makes 145, and I told him that when I saw him. 
<laughs> I saw him like two weeks after 206 sitting next to him at uh, in studio, and I was like, Jesus, fuck, man. As a Hawaiian, I feel like Brian Callen. I'm like, how do you make that? Because as Hawaiians, we really do. We have we have heavy bone structures, and that's not me. You know, I'm sure you, Dan, you can play out your weight all the time. You should, yeah, you should have, you know, fat girl syndrome and da-da-da. No, no. Like, there's legitimate fucking science to this. Like, let's compare this complaint of Hawaiians and weight to Hawaiians and combat sports. From the good ones to the bad ones, what do we all have? We have two things. We could take a shot, and there's really weird power that doesn't match our body or our weight class for the most part. Or at least heavier hands than most, at the least. Bone structure. <laughs> it's the only thing I can think of anyways. It cuts down on that reverberation of the brain that shuts us off and adds to the impact like a holding a sack of quarters. So I'm <laughs> not trying to bump my chest for being Hawaiian, but just Pacific Islanders in general. Like, there's just thicker. I mean, there's there's a reason why Mark Hunt is fucking one inch taller than me and has trouble making 265 pounds, for Christ's sake. Like, and it's so easy for me to have gone up 40 or 50 pounds. Granted, I'm still... Ugh. Let's not talk about me. All right, but anyways, the point is, I think ENC Medeiros is... Uh, I think that's the case here. I think he's going to be great at 170 for his frame there. You know, he's not going to be the biggest guy. He's still not going to match up in that sense, you know. There's going to be guys stronger than him. Eric Silva, in fact, I think stronger than him. But I think his chin's going to hold up better. And I think we might be overblowing Eric Silva's power. I mean, forget the whole post you saw to Eric Silva, which, well, kind of is a thing when you look at physique to even what I'm talking about now. Of when's the last time he's at, he's you know really rocked guys? He's always explosive moving forward, and even in his prime, I still feel it was overblown, both technically because he was really wide open for stuff, but uh, even just as far as who he was hurting and how often he was hurting guys. And then when I looked at his record, I was surprised. Man, he's been around for a while, a lot of fights, decent amount, and only four official KO stoppages. Uh, which, you know, I think one or two of those come like, you know, TKOs on the ground, you know, stuff like that too. So only four. So, I mean, I think it's a little bit, I think it's overblown on one side and classic underblown on the other, which unfortunately doesn't do any of us favors because it makes for a deceptively close fight that I don't suggest you I, you put money on for the value of the inside the distance uh, line. I took Medeiros uh, there, just kind of a small, small tidbit. Let me see. Tell you what I played on it, but I really don't suggest either. There's no, by the way, there's no overs, unders, uh, goes the distance, doesn't go the distance. I haven't done over, unders for a while, but, um, but, uh, uh plus 220 TKO Medeiros I took just for like three bucks, just for shits and giggles. Um, but man, it's just like, you know, you hear trends, whether it's like trends from, a podcast I don't think I've shot out yet, which is crazy. I've listened to them for a minute uh, just because it's they're funny, and I've, I've met I've met, met met some of the guys in person, and they're awesome. But shout out to the uh, MMA analysis uh, Lance, who I guess I don't really should shout him out because I don't think he <laughs> I never hear him on the show. But uh, my man my Brad, who I met here uh, in Vegas for two hundred nine. But uh, you know they always talk about fatty's gonna fatty speaking speaking to them and certain things like that and overs and this this and that and there's these certain kind of betting tropes if you've been in the you know MMA you know kind of community that that part of the community for a minute you'll you'll, you'll be familiar whether or not you listen to anybody in particular's podcast or certain variations of it right the odds makers are smart they're listening to everybody and I think that old Dan Tom even though I want to be self deprecating at times other times not so much <laughs> sorry about that but uh. You know, I'm sure people are in and listening to me now. Maybe Dan Tom's got to be careful what he says, but I don't care. Thankfully, I'm not 
trying to look too deeply into the number side of it for the reasons that I ranted on on the last podcast. I don't worry, I won't start that again. But uh, but yeah, um, but yeah, it feels like the the odds makers like fortified the betting lines for this one. Even like stuff where you're like, okay, I'm not expecting like plus money or even minus one hundred. Like I'm at least expecting like a minus two fifty and minus two seventy five. We use it for the parlay fodder. We all go home happy. No one asks any questions. But no, those lines weren't there as far as like overs unders or the te- the classic Danton parlay fodder as far as like fight does or doesn't go the distance like it's like the castle that is the betting lines wasn't enough like they were putting fucking you know speed strip spikes on there telsa coils what is this standard red alert fucking two reference don't age yourself you know they're putting you know uh, you know guards and snipers at the tower like they don't want anybody getting at these lines like they just stacked them up from the from the beginning or either that everybody just piled on more than normal earlier than earlier than normal but uh but yeah that's how i feel about most of the lines uh, you know it's not when you hear that it's not a good card for betting that's what i think people are talking about because f- for me it's the lightest betting card and that's why uh that is why that is why that is why that is why it's alawali bamboos versus paulo henrique costa Boracini. <laughs> sorry i fucking <laughs> My girlfriend, uh, it's funny, her, 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 I was a little late this week, and then her day's off, kind of adjusted, so she came around and was kind of hanging out while I was kind of at the tail end, and just like transcribing my breakdown, that whole long process I told you about, I get kind of delirious doing it, and all the analysis, everything's written, everything's done by that point, but it's just like, I'm fucking over it, these guys' fucking names are in my head, and I'll t- old Dan Tom talks to himself, if you can't tell, and the reason why I can hold this ship ashore, ship this sailing ship, <laughs> This sailing shit show afloat for so long is because I can talk to myself quite some bit. But, uh, yeah, I'm just, especially for, like, this fight, that Boracinia for whatever, it just stuck in my head, and the whole time I'm just, like, typing only one. Boracinia. Boracinia. I think my girlfriend even tweeted, she's like, my, my, my boyfriend just fucking talks to himself in accents when he works. It's quite amazing. She was, I think I even got her to audibly laugh because I just... Ran. I forgot she was in the room at a certain point. And I was doing Nate Marquardt versus Vitor Belfort, which we'll get to next. <laughs> I'm Nate Marquardt. I like Jesus, and and uh, you know, I forget what I said, but it was just this weird thing. Like it just she laughed, which was great. I got I got a pop from the audience, so to speak. But it just it made me realize, like, because when sometimes it takes somebody else to be there in the same room to catch your dirty habits, and you're like, wow, I am fucking weird. I really am. Okay, uh, Alawale Bongbose versus uh, Paulo, you know, Henrique Boracinha. Boracinha is minus 275 is the favorite. Probably, I think, opened in that 2-to-1 range. Even though this feels like a heavyweight crapshoot, I feel the 2-to-1 comeback and the 2-to-1 favorite for Boracinha and 2-to-1 comeback, I should say, for Bongbose is appropriate here. Um, people on Bongbose, I can't blame you because, again, the dynamics, like a heavyweight matchup. Any dog can have his day, but Alawale... Loads too much, eh? Loads too much, telegraphs, and not only telegraphs, but Boracinha, even though he'd be the classic guy you want to fade because he looks like a bully first-round finishes, pressure fights, etc., and I'll note that because I'm going to come back on that in a second. Um, There's a lot to like. He has actually... He actually shows the ability to fight from both stances. He's went, well, at least one fight that I saw where he went from southpaw to where I believe, not this time, but the first time, or the last time his debut was the first time I came across Bocini. I had to do his review, and I came across that fight. I believe that was the first fight I watched, and I thought he was a natural southpaw. He, he fooled me, the fucking southpaw. 
but he can fight from both stances, and he has checks and counters from both stances, which is important for some uh, for a blitzing opponent who blitzes wildly and is open on the counter like Bambos. Dangerous as he is, he's wide open for them counters, and there's checks to run right into. Botticini has nice body kicks. <sighs> Sorry, excuse me. Has nice body kicks from both sides he can go to. Um, and more importantly, he faint baits. He faint baits, right? I always point to the classic. In my in my opinion, this was this is a, this is you know you want to get technical. It's a technique that's been around long before this. But as far as relevant MMA in the UFC and trend starting, you know the 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 front kick on Anderson Silva, so to speak, was for faint baiting. I always point to BJ Penn versus Kenny Florian. And as you know, it's just such a great tactical thing if you're ever you know giving advice for matchups as far as. Dangerous explosive guys or guys were just they're not dangerous explosive because that wasn't Kenny Florian, but their best weapon is kicks. You faint and you you faint heavy and you bait you, you bait it out with the counter in mind. So you know it's coming. So you block high, come, two, three, or you block the other side, three, two, depending on the stance and side of the attack you're blocking and countering. You're faint baiting, or you know, fainting, waiting for them to come and Boop, hitting them with a the check hook or the inside angle cross or what have you, catching them on the knee, catching them with the knee as they change their level. Essentially, you're working it off of faint. So when I use this 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 term that 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 could be the next blanket term, uh, faint baiting, um, Boracin does it really well, you know. And uh, and more importantly, although that is the key enough to sell me on this matchup, what really impresses me, it might not play a factor because again. The basic dynamic of the matchup that I just pointed out, I think, will be enough. But Bodachini does really awesome things. And you go back to the he he does it in the regional uh, circuits too. But it's really shitty footage, was what I was trying to say there. So just 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 go watch him watch the Gareth McClellan fight because that's on Fight Pass and that's high quality. And you see it at the end when he has McClellan hurt, how he finishes him. This is what's impressive. You know he. Not only is he a guy that kind of grapples, and he came in and his first martial art was grappling, jiu-jitsu, and I'll touch on the ground aspect of this fight in one second. I didn't forget about it. But um, it's that he's a natural striker in every sense, you know, putting combinations together offensively, the little subtle techniques like faint baiting. Faint baiting. When he does get caught clean, he no-sell strikes. But what he does is he gets right back in their face, but he does it smartly. So whether he's the one getting caught or whether he's catching the person, He's coming right back in their face and shutting down that momentum on his terms, but doing it smartly to where he's variating his looks, levels, and rhythms. So he's not just going head. He's mixing it to the body. He's not just going left, right. He's going left, right, right, left, 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 right. And even the timing, like I just kind of did with that beat there, he's changing. So instead of bop, 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 it's bop, 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 bop. And those are left to right, bop bops, head to body, bop bops, if you get what I'm saying. There's three different things at play as far as combinations, and he's variating those rhythms. You don't see young guys doing that. You don't see guys with a bunch of first-round knockout finishes depending on subtle tactics like that. You don't see guys who, by all accounts, he looks like a bully. Psychologically, that profile fighter, you don't see doing that. He arguably fits all three of those profiles, and he's doing that. Again, I'm not saying that means he's the next Anderson Silva. I'm not saying it makes a difference that that means Aloelle Bamboza can't knock him out. But what I am saying is those are the subtle tech, those are the even subtler techniques that someone like myself look for and really appreciate. And something, no matter your background or interest for knowing or listening to this podcast, should keep in mind going forward on Botticinia as far as the big picture of his skill set 
or even ceiling of said skill set. So, uh, no plays. Everything's already inflated, even the fucking round one prop. And you gotta be a fucking degenerate to be chasing a round one prop or sure as shit. Um, and I am not. But, uh, but yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, by the way, the ground. Not big sample size for either guys on the ground, but the fact is, uh, this guy shows good base balance. Uh, Boracina, that is. Shows good base balance as far as, like, you know, hoisting underhooks, getting guys off of his hips when they're pushing him against the cage. And he, if it does go to the ground, he shows the urgency and propensity to, to be on top and stay on top. Um, and will transition to ride positions, rides really well, will uh, float on the turtle, punch, put his hook in, finish the job. Uh, he does that in his one submission win where it's really smart. It looks sloppy because he only has one hook in, but he just knows the position so well that he understands that it doesn't matter, that he only needs one hook. And in fact, the reason why in that fight, which you can find on YouTube, Boricini even gets the choke is because the false sense of security of that common thought, oh, he needs both hooks in. Uh, I'm safe here. Even though I'm turtled, I'm still safe here. He only has one hook in. He was counting on that mindset to slip his arm under the chin and finish the choke because he realized that if you have a certain position, a certain chest-to-back position, and then a certain um, reaping flex to your hook, yeah, yeah, and under the chin, of course, yeah, you can, you can, you can go ahead and squeeze that shit, son. You can go ahead and squeeze it. Uh, all right, next fight is uh, boy, borderline avoid, but after talking to Kelton, I almost felt like I, I should play it because I, I do have a strong read on it at, at the end and at the beginning of the day. Uh, Vitor Belfort versus Nate Marquardt. Um, again, the, the narrative can be overplayed on, on, on Belfort. I don't know so much about either guy, though, in the big picture. But as far as, you know, for example, I'm a huge Dan Henderson fan, and I picked Belfort in that fight. And I'm not pounding my chest here, but I picked Belfort by head kick. And again, I'm not specifying that to pound my chest here, but it, I think that matchup is relevant to this one is why I'm saying it. Um, both guys, this is an open stance matchup. We have an orthodox versus a southpaw open stance matchup. Uh, so also you see, if you have, so essentially they share the power side, right? Vitor's left is Nate's right. Okay. That is the power lane. That is the danger zone. Both guys have a propensity to do what defensively slip their head, slip their head where though into the power zone. The difference is Vitor, even at his age, he's been doing this slip so long because the left cross head kick, which is going to come into play here in one second it feeds off that that slip into the power side so well that he actually does it. Re- he still does it really well. And even obviously in his prime, since striking was for his forte, he has longer to go before he hits the bottom. As opposed as opposed to Nate, even in Nate's prime, which he is far from from his movement to motor skills and reactions, from takedowns to striking, it's not the same and wasn't on the same level at any point in his career, even at his best. Um, and Nate doesn't exactly slip. Nate keeps low hands at all times, first of all. Even when his hands do come up, they come up. T- when he puts his hands up, he's putting his hands up like chest level if you're lucky. And what he does do when Nate is significantly pressured is he backs straight up with his head up in the air. It's how he's been caught for the most part in this long run, which I have a, I have a stat that I'm going to feed you at the end here. Um, and if anything, he kind of slips and does a lazy, kind of like a lazily slip to the, is his power side to the right. And uh, that's why you see him get hit with left hooks and even head kicks that he's blocked. Like, he was smart when he went against Thiago Santos, did his homework, he was expecting it. So, But even those, you could see, were kind of gaining respect and maybe chipping away psychological points away from Nate, if not physical ones, if that makes any sense. 
Uh, so I'm sure he did his homework here, but I, I just think that left cross is too pinpoint. It's still Vitor's best punch. His punching power hasn't went. His speed is still better than Nate's. Um, and Nate Marquardt is 0-6 against UFC Southpaws. All UFC Southpaws, in fact, going back a decade, in fact. And in fact, <laughs> that's not even including his two losses to Tarek Safadine and Tiago Santos, two orthodox fighters who regularly fight from Southpaw. So that's like an 0-8 right there. And Nate Marquardt, even though Vitor, it's d- disturbing his recent... Here's how disturbing you know Vitor's recent run of things. He's been dropped and stopped in four of his last fights. But Nate Marquardt, slightly different, but same theme here. Listen to the words carefully. Dropped or stopped, but in his last 7 of 11. That's right. His last 7 of 11, he was either dropped and or stopped Nate Marquardt. Even more disturbing. I think he's going to be feeding right into Vitor Belfort's power side. Nate's best chance is going to be able to take him to the ground. But you want to talk about, you know, motor skills or concussions or getting older, or damage, and all the above, taking away movement, and how I kind of just cited it earlier in this podcast. How usually, typically, generally speaking, on paper, it will take out the explosive athletes, the strikers. It'll it'll hit those guys first, but. Where I, even though that might not, you know, depending on your viewpoint, even though that's probably not Nate's game or Forte or, or, or Bill, where I, I have seen that theory affect his game the most is his takedowns because now he's relying more on that veteran savvy timing. He doesn't have the same level change, he doesn't have the same vigor, much less, which is speculative, but much less the same psychological confidence to where I'm not sure how much he's going to be grappling oriented because even in matchups where he should have been, he wasn't that grappling oriented. I mean, the matchup he was most grappling or I mean, it made sense the way he caught kicks and the exchanges went for it to go to the ground. It was organic. But I'm just saying the most grappling oriented we've seen him as of late was against Tanner McCrory, a fight where he was rocking his opponent repeatedly, didn't need to necessarily take the fight there, and then of course finish McCrory on the feet anyways. Um nevertheless, Nate Marquardt is an excellent, not just a BJJ black belt, which again, not an end-all be-all. More importantly, Marquardt is an excellent positional and fundamental grappler. He keeps his hand position in the right spot like we were talking about. He keeps his head and hips you know, square in line. Um, and you don't need much cooking time still. Uh, even though I'm coming to uh, Belfort's defense, the Brazilian does not require much cooking time to turn the tide still. I still believe that. So there is a very tangible path for Nate to get him down and start cooking the confidence out of Belfort. But I just feel that we're going to get some weird staring lulls because both guys like to counter. And the last couple of matchups where either Nate was facing a guy like Alvi who liked to counter or... It was just one of those stanzas where his opponent decided at that point to counter when Nate was like, no, I want to counter. No. I mean, not that that you see that reaction on Nate's face, but the inner monologue, the how I'm kind of reading the fight, I see that because Nate doesn't show the frustration, but to me shows in the way he would kind of of come in and close the space and will look to like kind of grab a clinch like you're playing. Here's a throwback. WCW versus NWO on the N64 and you hit the grapple button. The guy does the, the pro wrestler does the, he does the, he does the the kind of feint where he does the hand kind of hands pump out and then he grabs the opponent by the chest and brings him in and you can start grappling. Like, <laughs> like that's what Nate Marker was doing to close space and not even striking. And if he does that against Belfort, he's getting clipped. So whether he's backing up to his traditional tropes or coming into Bel- feeding, coming in, which in my opinion will be feeding into Belfort strengths. I don't like you for old Nate Marquardt here. I see Belfort getting it done inside the distance. All right, coming event time. Carolina Kovalkiewicz plus 270 versus Claudia Gadelia minus 330. Man, 
it's so weird. It makes me want to like take a shot at a principal female fights because I compare them to heavyweight fights, not in the sense that someone's going to get knocked out, obviously, but in the sense that the swings are so heavy as far as the outcome, uh, the momentum of the fight, the swings, because there's such a little sample size. And when you start to get to the females, you're also getting to the lower weights. And just like men's flyweight, which is kind of hearkening on a similar point here as far as momentum swings, when you're relying, when the fight is coming down to being technical, because uh, it's hard to knock anybody out, whether you're a lightweight male or lightweight female, right? It's going to rely on submissions, but if you're a lightweight male or you're a lightweight female, you're spending all your time getting bullied by bigger fighters, which is forcing you to be more technical and making, no matter what your strengths are, all your strengths are different, but the guaranteed common threat of strength, defense, because fighters like that have to be good at defense. They're always the smaller person, so that kind of takes submissions out. Their weight kind of takes knockouts out, so now it becomes skills, and if they're equally skilled or if they're not then yeah you might find a submission or a knockout that's where you usually find it but if they're equally skilled like most of these matchups are then it gets tricky or sometimes like in the females you have the whole other thing we have a really even smaller sample size in the male division so now you think the advantage is off or the value is one way and it's not so it's just it gets real tricky for that reason and the fact that I love me some Carolina Kovalkiewicz I mean not as much as the creepier Eastern European commenters me and Jordan Killian love to Fucking always talk about, yes, good, beautiful, yes, I like, more. But <laughs> if you just read the comments on, like, any female fighter in the UFC, it's, it's creepy, by the way. Anyway, especially the Eastern European chicks, like the Maria Moreau, Marina Morosa and Karolina Kowalkiewicz are the fucking creepiest, next to Paige Van Zandt, of course. But uh, I look for every angle to play Kowalkiewicz here. I want her to win so bad, and... <sighs> but no, I couldn't find anything. Not only could I not find anything... I actually felt like maybe not now at the minus 330, but for around what it opened at, you know, two and a half, close to three, or whatever, uh, justify Claudia Adelia. I mean, puzzle piece-wise, forget the the fading thing, which I'll touch on in a second. Puzzle piece-wise, this is a bad matchup. Carolina traditionally countered by right hands with her low hands. Uh, counter right hands have been um, Gadelia's thing. Uh, although Kovalkiewicz has an edge in the clinch almost most fighters as far as striking offensively. She doesn't want to be taken down, and Gadelli gets most of her takedowns from the clinch. So her passion, Kavalkevich's passion, I should say, can quickly become her poison in this matchup. Um, her narrow stance that gives her the advantage of her quick-moving footwork and lateral movement comes at a, cross, comes at a cost because leg kicks, um, even though she's so tough and powers through it, leg kicks start to take effect on her real fast if you watch her fights from Invicta to, to UFC. And... Uh, Gadelia has some decent leg kicks. And then, of course, yes, you know, being able to take down the reactive shot, the, the narrow stance, more importantly, the leg kicks, it makes it easier for a well-timed takedown, which Gadelia has always has, but looked to improve since moving shop to the Trail Yee MMA, which brings me to the cardio and to the next points here. What made me more co confident to not only pick Gadelia, but take it to the next level and put her as the final piece, uh, final recommended piece of the parlay uh, is Claudia Gadelia. And um, is because of the improvements. I believe working in New Mexico helped the cardio. I don't think it's an end-all, be-all. I don't think it gets changed that fast. I believe there still were certain signs of her tiring in the fight with Courtney Casey, but I think she did much better overall. And not only that, I went and looked at the numbers, which I don't have on hand right here, but her numbers were improved overall as far as per round, as her averages per round, and as far as the build to the, more importantly, the diminish, right? I mean... Uh, that was one of the, the, the few female fights where I 
I got real spot on was in JJ Gedalia too, where I said she's going to hit her, she's going to take her down. The problem is if she can't stop her, it comes into point of diminishing returns come round three. And that's what happened. And if this were a five-round fight, I would be singing a different tune. Believe you me, my money would be on Carolina, even if the odds were reversed. But it, and it was a five-round. I would still bet Carolina because I like her. You know, I want her to win. But no, no, honestly, all that, that has nothing to do with betting and, and analyzing and all that stuff. All those things go to Gedalia, and with those improvements, not just in the cardio, but she was, she's always had strong pieces to her game, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, striking, clinch. But she's putting it together. She's striking into the clinch. She's striking out of the clinch. When she was showing those said signs of kind of getting slightly tired against an aggressive oncoming Casey, what did she do? She used footwork more more smartly instead of feeling she needs to pressure and be heavy on her lead foot all the time. We saw Gedalia be more op to take 45 angles back, circle away, kind of step back, let Casey come, and have the veteran savvy to time level changes and take back the momentum of the fight and edge her way out of the scorecards. Really, really smart stuff you want to see a fighter uh, do. That's how you, you know, shield, just like her old steel mate Jose Aldo will get to in a second. That's that's how you shield any type of deficiencies there. All right. Um, by the way, Parley, Gadelia, Lopez, and... Who was my other person? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, Marais. And it's like plus 105 um, just for the shit of it. And I explained how my betting breakdowns on the last fight. So I'll save my time because I want to get to this next fight. Max Holloway right now, plus 125 versus the champion. Or the, the you know. <sighs> Forget the champions. I think it's confusing. Versus Jose Aldo, minus 145. Justified line now. I was surprised it was even for as much as it was. Felt that it probably should have opened around this. Jose Aldo is the justified favorite. He is who I initially came in leaning. And not only who I initially came in leaning, but secretly really wanting to win because I didn't want to pick Max Holloway here. If I picked Max Holloway, I'm just afraid of, Dan, you know, you're Hawaiian. Of course you're going to fucking pick Max Holloway. But no, that promise has nothing to do why. But I will tell you why. I'm going to try to organize my thoughts as best as I can. I had a really uh, more in-depth, more well-organized one on MixedMarshallAnalyst.com. Take a slip of this warming IPA and collect my thoughts for a brief second. Oh God, that's warm, hoppy goodness. All right, so essentially, if you pick Jose Aldo, you're not crazy. I mean, for anybody to pump their chest is crazy. The reason why I'm just excited, one, A, I'm excited about this match. It doesn't matter who I'm siding in. Two, like I said earlier, this is one of those matchups. The reason why I went against aforementioned early feels for, for my man Aldo, Aldo is because, man... I just have that vision again. Not to sound woo-woo about it, but I couldn't help not only but see something, but see something beyond the puzzle pieces and see something beyond the vision. I couldn't stop seeing things. I couldn't stop. I really couldn't. It just started clicking left and right, and there's just a couple points we're going to get to. One, we'll go with the traditional puzzle pieces as far as techniques. Things, because I've broken down these guys multiple times in their career. I feel like I know them so well now at this point, especially after this last one I spent literally a whole week watching footage straight. Granted, it was broken up because of the junkie gathering, but I, I spent like a whole week just on this fight. Um, Aldo, traditionally, counters with leg kicks are mainly his right hand. His counter cross is one of his best weapons, and I think it's going to have a lot of play here. Um, again, if you pick him, you're not crazy. You pick him by decision, you're not crazy. That's how I see him winning should he win. And I see him probably trying to be smarter. I think 
if he chases Holloway or is aggressive, he's going to expose himself. And I'll explain why and all the ways, all the ways why in a second. So I think he's going to do a similar game plan of Frank Edgar fight where he uses his patent rear foot pivot to take away a fighter with a lot of movement um, so he can always face him so they can't get the jump on him, which is going to come in handy for him in this fight, obviously, because Max has lateral movement, right? But uh, he uses rear foot pivots, and then he stayed behind in a jab and a cross and won the fight off of that. It was really impressive. The numbers were close. In fact, the numbers favor Edgar, technically. But again, those numbers, as I will argue, are misleading. So... It wasn't who won him the fight. Uh, Jose Aldo justifiably won that fight, so I'm not, I'm not about to say that. I'm just, 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 just pointing out some interesting angles there. Um, and I think he's going to do that here. Except good news for Jose Aldo supporters is he won't have the fear of having to hold back his leg kick like he had to do against Frank Yeager because Max Holloway is not a catch kick counter or a shoot takedown wrestling kind of guy. Now, I don't think Max is beyond trying to surprise Aldo. I think he may. I think there's some wild cards here. But I think that's a way too risk first reward because as tall as he is, as short compared to Aldo, and given Aldo's knees, that's the last thing you want to do. He's gonna t- you're gonna telegraph that. There's too much of a distance to tra- travel. You're gonna get caught by too much. I think that's out of the equation. Aldo's knees, and 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 that. But I think Aldo's gonna be smart and counter here. Here's the problem. Here's the thing. You know, sure can his rear foot pivot. Um, stack up with, with Max's movement. Because Max's movement is impressive. It's not just lateral movement. Like, he'll be circling one way, and as soon as you're adjusting, not as soon as you're adjusting, but right as you're in mid-motion, he will turn the other way and then come in and attack. Or he'll turn the other way to get you to follow to make a more dramatic turn than the turn before, just like takedown chains. Okay, maybe the first chain isn't good, but if you have a solid, like, three-chain submission or a three-chain takedown, the third one's you, you know usually going to be the strongest. Well, that is, you know the, the same, uh, you know the same translates to different phases of of of, of martial arts. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, so so again, uh, Max will get him to turn, he'll get him to follow, and he'll come in and works on most of the division. Last person it probably would work on is Holloway on paper or Aldo on paper. So I wouldn't be surprised if Aldo can counter it. The problem is I'm not sure how long he can counter it. Especially if he can't hurt Holloway, because my feel essentially is if he can't hurt him with the counter right or stop this movement that I'm trying to break down for you with the leg kicks that I mentioned, then I think he's going to get built upon and Max is going to build momentum. And this thing is going to be reminiscent of Dillashaw Barrow 1. And the reason for that is because, again, even if Aldo plays it safe, I think he can still overload a system, even though Aldo is the highest operating system we have, believe me. Um, he's one of the most technical fighters, which is crazy about this take. This take has nothing to do with, my pick has nothing to do with Aldo's age, any PED accusations, chin accusations, fading, psychological intangibles, all those things you can make arguments for, by the way, have nothing to do with my reason for picking Holloway, which you don't have to agree with. You never have to agree with what I'm saying. But I think that makes it interesting nonetheless, right? Okay, so get to the point, Dan. Sorry, sorry, there's just a lot to unpack, and there's just, there's just one point branches to the other. Uh, the point is, even though he is this impeccable computer system, that technical computer system that is Jose Aldo, the best operating systems can be shut down when you start spamming keys, right? And now, more importantly, if you know what keys to spam when, when you know the computer is making the hard drive, right? When it, it's making it, it's having to process stuff because you just gave it a lot to process. That's when the mo- that, that's that's at 
you know, when you're your most weakest to have your computer freeze up on you, right? If you listen to this podcast, you heard, you know, I had to re-record the first half of the UFC Sweden breakdown um, because it, 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 it crapped out on me. It was processing some commands of just, you know, waking back up, switching screens, and I went to save too fast, and it overloaded the, you know, uh, what otherwise is a problemless uh, Mac that I, granted, I got, uh, you know, a couple years ago, but still, it's a, it's a high-quality MacBook Pro. doesn't matter. doesn't matter if it's upgraded technology, top technology, even both. Sometimes it's just a certain combination of keys overloading, and you can overload the system. Now, you combine that with a technical high volume durable Hawaiian well that's that's going to be tough that's going to be tough um now don't get me wrong could Aldo ice him sure but again I'm not trying to do the Hawaiian thing to bump my chest but just kind of harkening on that point before of this this dude's stupid freaking chin you know holding the holding the candle for Cabbage Carrera as well you know BJ Penn all these guys but Max hasn't really shown that vulnerability I mean seldom is he hurt so that's out of the equation. So I really think Aldo is going to have to, you know, compromise him with leg kicks. Can he win rounds? Of course. Aldo is the motherfucking master at winning rounds, right? Not only do I break down the technical more clear than I'm breaking it down now in my, in my written breakdown, but at the end I talk about how I believe I describe Aldo as a, as a ruthless politician, a, round, a ruthless round-winning politician. That's how I, uh, you know, describe him because he's the best at winning rounds. He puts his hand not just putting his he puts his hand up at the end of rounds. He ups his volume at the end of the rounds for takedowns. He'll take a foul when he needs to recover. He'll, you know, there's questionable timing on certain fouls that he gives and, you know, his attitude will kind of correlate to what the narrative that he wants to set of the fight. When someone has a good round or when he's tired, you'll see him be very nice and go out and he'll break the kind of Scarface uh, even, before, you know, you know, in his prime, uh, which you could still argue he's in his prime, but you know what I'm saying, in his impressive run when he was Stone Cold Aldo, right? He'll break him smile. When would he break and smile, guys? Go back and watch the footage. It's only when, 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 anytime you're speculating, oh, he's getting tired. Well, is it just stupid fan speculation? Are we overblowing it? Or is he really getting tired? Well, not only is there weird smiles and little ticks and physical behaviors of Aldo makes to do so, but his corner kind of tells you that your speculation is right because, um, like I was telling my man, with my man Z, we we're talking about how it's a weird sample size where it's like, he's questioning why I'm confident in Max in the later rounds because he's never been there. Like, well, Max has never shown signs of tiring, and in fact, he's shown all these signs of why he's a builder, which I'll get to in one second. Whereas Aldo, although he's one of the, he's a, he's a ruthless round-winning politician, he's one of the best in the world, he's never lost a fight that went to decision. Um, he's one of the best decision, you know, uh, decision five-round fighters, even though it, his gas tank has been the question of his career, which is pretty ironic. But that the reason why he he's been able to have a questionable gas tank and been able to best been able to be one of the best round winners and five round fighters is because of those tactics and those round winning tactics and politics. But it, it's funny you see when he uses it and it's a big tail. Look look at Kenny Florian, um, who fits a sample size as far as you know. Um, oh, sorry, wait, wait, back, backtrack two steps. Hold note on Kenny Florian, backtrack two steps. His corner tells you that you're right on speculation as far as getting tired because. There, yes, there is a big sample size of Aldo winning five-round fights, but with that big sample size, every round, what's his corner telling him? Literally, every fucking round. Go listen. I'll wait. Well, I won't wait because it'll take too long. It's too much. But they're always saying, no matter how good the round is, good round. Just ease up. 
Wait till the end to throw your leg kicks. Okay, no need to do takedowns. No more takedowns. Or just wait till the takedown at the end of the round. Save your energy. Show them that you can play the game. Wait till the end of the round. That's all it is over and over again. And it's fueling our speculation. And so I think it's right here. I think there's an issue there. And not only that, not only does the narrative and the in-close in-corner details and just the general first feels that you get all kind of are congruent. Well, let's go look at the third level of it. Let's look at the actual numbers. The numbers actually match it round for round. I went and did it. Went and did it. Not saying tallied it up round for round and matches. I trust the tally makers in that sense. I'm talking about the numbers support the narrative of when he's taking rounds off. And Aldo, no matter what the type of matchup is, no matter how well he's doing, there is a decline. Now, here's the breakdown of it in my in my interpretation of the numbers that are there for all of us to see. When he's in a match where there's striking, like Mendez too, He's clearly taking every other round off. He does it to recover. And the numbers from round one to five go down with a hard push for round five or a hard push toward the end of the, you know, you know where the fight ends. Because if he feels like he's losing the fight or needs to make sure, not losing the fight, but he feels like he needs to make sure that the fight isn't as secure as he likes to be. Because Aldo likes to be comfortable. He's got one of the best risk management in the sport. He likes to be comfortable. And yes, yes, I don't think Max is going to give him that comfort, but I'll get to that in a second. The point is the numbers go with it. Now when he's forced to grapple, that diminishing numbers that I'm talking about, it's even more dramatic. Um, you could see so, for example, in when Aldo faced Chan Sung Jung. And that fight, he was forced... That was probably one of the more relevant, better strikers as far as the last like eight-year sample size, right? Or six-year sample size or whatever, however you want to group it. And when looking at Aldo, like, okay, Aldo doesn't use takedowns late, that much later in his career. When was the last fight he was using him strongly? It was that fight. And that was because he was going against a good striker, which kind of fuels into my point that technically neither guy has ever faced an opponent like the, the other guy. You could say that about every matchup. But I feel like Aldo really hasn't faced a guy like Aldo uh, Holloway is missing from his sample size resume. Whereas no one holds a whole candle to Jose Aldo, which is true if you want to just blanket statement blanket break it down from that angle but as far as you know guys with size stature throwing similar tools we have more things to compare off of sure dennis bermudez is dutchy is as good as jose aldo's but we have those sample sizes to work off of whereas jose aldo only has two southpaws in the last 10 years and only two people who were taller than him in the last 10 years actually three cub swanson who again also fits a sample size of taller Diverse, switch stance, striker. But the problem was that match only happened last like fucking eight seconds, and Cub even then was introduced as a jiu-jitsu fighter. He wasn't the same fight, you know. He wasn't known as a, quite as a striker. He was still working with Yoel Diaz and still was in a boxing, but it wasn't as known. It wasn't as as, as prevalent prevalent in the cage. So it's just this really skewed sample size. The one before that was Jonathan fucking Brookins, and granted that was a different Aldo, although throwing still similar. Similar offensive tools. Obviously, he throws are much better now. Jonathan Brookins, who's not a good striker now, definitely wasn't back then. He had a, a shit check jab slash check hook that didn't didn't put much on and didn't have much to put on from technique to power. But anytime he wanted to put it out there, he would hit Aldo every time coming in because although that Dutchie is great for not just an awesome combination, but the Dutchie, the footwork accompanied with the Dutchie is great because when Aldo has to face southpaws, it doesn't affect him as much because, again, Dutchie is, by the way, when you step to your left to load up your left hook, 
throw a left hook, whether it's to the body or liver, in most cases for Aldo, and that feeds right into a right leg kick. It gives you the angle for the leg kick and the left hook. But the key is that step to the left. So the good thing is if you're facing an orthodox fighter or even a southpaw fighter, you're getting offline. If it's a southpaw fighter, you're getting your foot off to the outside position. You know, you're checking these typical boxes that'll get you out of the way from their strikes and put the odds in your favor of landing your strikes. So when he's going against a southpaw like Brookins, we would see him instead of the leg kick that's not there, he would go right hand. McGregor saw this. McGregor saw that Aldo over the years tightened up this game, but he would still throw that kind of dutchy combination. And when he goes to throw his left hooks, Aldo's tight guard goes right out the fucking window. He's wide open. So he steps to the left, and Connor's game plan, with his arsenal, the way it matches, it's the inside angle left cross is his strongest weapon. It only makes sense to go this way. He saw that was smart. This is why he was able to be Mystic Mac, because in hindsight, you're like, oh yeah, no shit, you're a Mystic Mac. Because... Aldo always goes for that duchy where he steps outside and then comes back in. And he's like, oh, perfect. You are going to come right back into my most powerful shot. And he did. And left hands are the common culprit of Aldo's career, even from orthodox fighters. We saw in a second bout with Chad Mendez. Chad Mendez was able to hit check hooks and offensive hooks of Aldo because Aldo has a really high priority on right hands. He really worries about the right hand. And you can tell because going back from 2007 to now, um, not all the time. Again, he's one of the best defensive fighters ever, so you really have to nitpick when looking at Aldo. But this is something he has had for 10 years of matchup times where you'll see him has a propensity to put his left hand up to shell to defend himself from the right hand, but you will see him almost preemptively parry with that right hand. And that allows left hands to come up. Now, he's good about retracting it, but when he's getting caught with these left hands, counter crosses or left hooks or check hooks, it's because his hand's not coming back in time. It's because that hand, whether he's throwing punches with it or it's dropping when he's throwing punches when his left or he's preemptively parrying with it, that right hand is always having to do something. He's really a little almost too active to it for his own good, especially since he's not an active guy or a guy that throws him out of himself out of position very much. But that hand is a little too active for its own good, and you see it. You see it just missing. You see it just missing the doorway and just missing its windows as far as getting back up to block in time. And that's why left left hands have been the common culprit. So that was something I went in looking for. Just like I, I knew that Jose Aldo is his most his best weapon in this match is going to be the counter right hand. Well. Holloway's left hand to that point. But what I didn't see was, speaking of that McGregor note where Aldo will step out to his left and he has to come back just by basic physics. You go out of balance one way, you have to come on balance the other, especially if you're a fighter like Aldo, again, keeps himself on balance. What I realized is he's also unprotected throwing his hooks from the other side of his face. So well, if, if a left cross is going to hit Aldo from the right side of his face, what's going to hit Aldo's left side of his face? Right hands. Well, if he's stepping out wide to his opponent's right, what kind of right hand's going to hit him? A right cross? Well, no, because he's stepping out of that center line. Ooh, a right hook, maybe. Ooh, if it's a southpaw, a check right hook, because I say it all the time. If you're looking to throw that right hand, you're throwing your momentum into the check right hook. And or even if you're not looking to throw your right hand, if you're looking to throw your left hand because you're loading up for a duchy like Aldo, you are still... Your body and your momentum and your head is going forward into the left, which is directly in the trajectory of a check right hook. And ever since Max Holloway started going to southpaw, although he primarily fought orthodox for his last fight, which I believe was because he anticipated Pettis to be southpaw. Anyways, neither here nor there. Max obviously can fight from southpaw. As soon as he starts going from southpaw, he was throwing check hooks like he was a lifelong southpaw. You all know how much I, I really hearken and harp on 
check right hooks, and he was throwing it nice out of the gate, and it's only gotten better. He have, even has check hooks from the left, and so does Aldo has great check hooks left from the left too. But you know who else has check good check uh, left hooks from the left? Uh, Pettis and uh, more importantly, Cub Swanson, and he was able to block and take those away. Max Holloway, unlike Aldo, is consistently putting his right hand up to protect himself. He is really good about that. So defensively and off the counter, I think that Dutchie is going to turn into a death sentence if Aldo does it. And again, I think Aldo is going to be smart here. He's going to follow his trend, which is also what is appropriate for the matchup, and he's going to sit back and counter. That's going to behoove him the most. But if he throws that Dutchie, Holloway is going to have a plethora of answers for him. And, and back to, sorry, I'm playing fucking high-speed tennis here, and back to the sample sizes that I keep kind of touching on as far as Aldo's not faced a guy like Holloway before. I mean, I'm talking about height, movement, footwork, um, and even just striking, you know, prowess. His best guy is Frank Yeager. And Frank Yeager is still a wrestler of the day. And even though Frank Yeager is a good striker and has got good movement, he's still kind of predictable in patterns, right? I mean, uh, even if you pay attention, I'm sure his, his camp did the homework on what combos are what. I love Mark Henry. I love their camp. And, you know, he codes all his shit, but it's still the same codes. I mean, I don't know this stuff for a fact, but I'll just I'll run, I'll run the list. I do the same thing, you know, ponies for fucking... Uh, Winkle John is the oblique kick, but like, you know, uh, was it uh, Mark Henry? Sapo, 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 that's shifting left, rights. Uh, aluminum, that's uh, shifting combina- uh, punching combination into pushing him into the cage uh, and possibly getting takedowns. I mean, there's there's certain like tells and there's certain platters and play runnings to just the, the combinations that, that Frankie throws. So is it that much of a surprise that Aldo was able to get a beat? I mean, there's a lot of people, there's some on the last podcast, a lot of people out there, and I agree, you know, that Aldo could be a really bad matchup for Frankie on top of Aldo just, of course, being one of the best fighters ever. But, yeah, he could also, on top of that, you know, be a bad matchup for Frankie. But he's never faced those guys, even against Kenny Florian. You know, being back in the politics, Kenny Florian, you know, especially in hindsight, not to shit on Kenny, he, striking was not his strength, but even the Muay Thai and kicks, I think, were a little bit overblown, especially when you go look back at it in hindsight. Wasn't that great, right? And Kenny, not, not, not one-shot KO, not athletic, not explosive. Um, he, Aldo should have wiped the floors with him. He should have used all those things to beat him because Kenny had nothing to offer him in that. But because of the, I think because of the height and the southpaw stance, if you look, Aldo really used politics, especially like round lane politics where he's trying to sell the judges. That's one of the things he usually doesn't do. Um, but uh, he was using politics to win that fight. And this politics date back. I mean, you go watch back to 2007 against uh, Shoji Kojima. I fucking, the name escapes me. But it's the, it's the last fight before he goes into the WEC. And it's in a ring. It's over in Japan. And Aldo still had great takedown defense. like, But it was more sprawl, get my hips back takedown defense. It wasn't the same, you know, fight the wrist, circle out, step off my back foot, plant, and pivot you hard. You know, it was not, it's not that kind of uh, takedown defense. So when Soji, anytime Soji would get in on his hips, you would see Aldo immediately kamikaze himself and literally dive like he was almost like passed out and incapacitated through the ropes, just kind of like fall lazily through. It was crazy. And half the time he was getting resets on the feet. Other times referee was onto it eventually and then, you know, would restart him from a clench and move him away from the ropes so it wouldn't pay off that gamble. But it just goes to show me he's been doing it for a long time and he will do anything he needs to win those rounds. So in no way do I discount Aldo from athletic martial artist to, to his political his political tactics inside the ring there to, to, to win rounds. But um, 
he also, you know, it also is a tell for for the things that he doesn't like. And I think Max brings those things that he doesn't like. Uh, and even more so with the Kenny Florian thing, not only did he, he not use his, his typical advantage that should have worked against Kenny, Kenny didn't even really strike with him that much. He was doing that push against the cage, you know, tactic most of the fight. And still, Aldo had, had a difficult time. So what's he going to do when he has a guy the same size as Kenny, but is moving better than Kenny and putting more volume than not just Kenny, but any of the fighters, orthodox, uh, orthodox, uh, southpaw, past, present. I mean, there's just so many things. Forget that a lot of the fighters were defeated by the time they got in there with Aldo, but there's just so many points where I'm like, okay, this is great, but Max wouldn't be letting Aldo do, uh, not, not not letting Aldo do this. That's an unfair, blind comparison, but Max wouldn't be doing what that fighter's doing right now. Max would not be doing that. So this is maybe not as clear as a read as what your eyes are telling you, you know? Because we're not getting the complete truth. We're watching. We're doing tape study. We're watching Aldo and there was someone else. We're doing tape study on Holloway. We're watching Holloway and there was someone else. We don't. We don't yet know how they react to one another. But, but when it comes to the comparing sample sizes, man, man, I don't think Max Holloway from his numbers he built. I don't think he's going to give Jose Aldo the time to, to have to have time to have time off to have those recovery rounds. So what's Jose Aldo going to be like when he doesn't have the recovery rounds? And to top it off, what's it going to be like when he doesn't have the recovery rounds and within the rounds that are present and prevalent and relevant, he's being forced to fight because Mac Holloway, if anything, although he, I think he'll be there for the counters and although I think he'll eat those counters, still go on to win the fight, he's going to bring the dog out of Aldo. Whether you think Aldo's going to win or lose, whether you love Aldo as a fan like me or you are a detractor and you hate him, you you can't tell me you, you aren't excited for this matchup, and you can't tell me that you'd be mad to see the dog bite in Holloway. I think that's what we all have in common at the point. We want to see the dog bite in Holloway. The problem is, if he brings out that dog, or if he exercises his wrestling advantages, like I think he can take Max Holloway down, even though Max is getting better and better with takedown defense, and I feel Max can survive, but that's the thing. If Max can survive, it's going to like Claudia Gadelia versus uh, Yoni and Jacek too, you know. Aldo can leg kick him, he can counter cross him, he can take him down, he has an advantage on the ground, he's the better fighter on paper, he's the legend, yes, 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 yes. That doesn't matter. Each matchup is a different matchup, each day is a new day, and if he can't significantly compromise Max, whether by knocking him out or changing the trajectory by hurting him seriously, whether it be concussive or by leg kicks, then, then Max is going to build on him within the round and throughout the fight. Here's just an example of what I mean by building. And the reason why I say Max takes away weapons and, 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 and parlays it. Um, I picked Last time I picked against Max was McGregor. So I'm not trying to boast on my accuracy on Max Holloway. I'll be honest. The first first five times out of those 10-fight win streaks is just picking Max blindly because I, I want to see Hawaii do well. And I still wanted to see Hawaii do well against McGregor, but I... I, I I had a feeling it was a really bad match. I was in on the hype for McGregor. One, because I was watching him from Cage Warriors, thanks to places like MMA Junkie, were one of the only people covering him and interviewing McGregor, um, which it's kind of a bummer. Uh, McGregor doesn't go on their show to those guys anymore because those, those guys were giving him love before anybody knew who McGregor was. That's how people like myself knew who he was. But uh, but anyways, um, at that time, I thought Max was you know showing grappling improvements in a fight against Bermudas, which... He won, I believe, clearly, even in retrospect. Most people do, by the way, first two rounds. But as far as striking-wise, I felt like it was just variations of 1-1-2 with the occasional spin sidekick, and I wasn't sure what we were going to see from Holloway. And uh, that's a weird sample size for this fight because Aldo and McGregor could be more different. And two, McGregor and Holloway are not only different, way different fighters from them, but McGregor was injured, as you, don't, you know, midway through the fight. 
And as most don't know, Holloway didn't talk about it, but he was injured going into that fight, which it was a different Holloway. Say what you will. Uh, at first, you know, at first, and I still do think, you know, uh, definitely has a part to do because McGregor has life-changing power, which in retrospect, McGregor landed so much shots that would have got most people out of there, took confidence away, but Max stayed in there and had his best round in the third round. You know, again, obviously injury, but there are injuries both sides there, and you can see that with the difference of Max's performances. So that's a really weird sample size. I always warn people from drawing too much from. But what I will say is you saw Conor McGregor using the oblique kicks to stifle Max Holloway, and it was it was bothering him, and Max never used it before in his career. After that fight, he starts using them. So we start seeing kind of a slow, basic process of elimination. That hurt. How do I defend against that? And defending against that, how do I take that and make it my own? Cool, not a lot of fighters do that. It deserves props, but still, nothing groundbreaking there. But here is an example to what his building has evolved to. And there's a lot of them, but I don't want to keep you all here for days, so I'll just go with a more relevant one to the Ricardo Lamas fight. Uh, Ricardo Lamas... Um, Hit him with some good leg kicks. That's something I was looking for, you know, because I want to see when I'm researching this fight, how does Max Holloway react to leg kicks? He didn't check it. Although he never, you know, he's not around to be hit. What happens when he is around to be hit? And he only checks him like half the time. And I was worried about that. So, but I wanted to watch more relevant sample sizes of how now he deals with the leg kicks. And you see Ricardo Lamas is really good throwing really hard leg kicks. He throws an inside. You hear the snap. You see it lifts Max shin across the ground. And by the time his shin, or, you know, his, his foot lifts up from the ground, by the time it touches back down, Lamas is smartly coming right back with the outside, which connects beautifully to Max's leg, right? And Max steps back, goes, okay. And now Max is kind of coming in and prodding in again, fainting in again like he normally does. And then Lamas kicks. He faint baits him and 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 draws back okay so the, that's one adjustment then he starts coming in again coming in he goes to faint bait him and instead of drawing back getting out of the way of the kick he's ready this time with a check and then he counters in in return okay so they reset okay reset now he's prodding in again prodding in again now instead of faint baiting with a check ready he faint baits in a different sense and he kind of abandons he actually tie marches okay tie marching is where you're kind of marching forward with high knees and what, like you're checking kicks, even if your opponent is kicking or not, what that does is it disguises what it gets your opponent focusing on your legs. Well, why is he marching weird like that? What is he going to throw at me? It gets them thinking. It allows you to close. Meanwhile, you can close distance at a much safer rate against a, someone who's going to be looking for you know is going to be looking for leg kicks because if they keep, catch you mid motion, guess what? You're making checks with your leg the whole time, so you're kind of mitigating the damage you can take, giving yourself appropriate walking shields. And you see him do the tie march in the, into space the next time. So, And this is all within a round, mind you. That was four levels of adjustment within one round. You can see, I believe it's like the second round or something. Holloway makes on Lamas. It's insane. So he takes something away and builds upon it. And he builds upon it. He builds within the rounds. He builds over them. I'm just talking about the fucking, I'm going to UFC.com and reading numbers and fucking stats. Like I barely do that. But I did do that a lot with this one to match theories of actual in-round evidence and actual Techniques and it does, it does. This Holloway is a fucking builder. When I say he's a builder, he is a builder. He, I, he's not a Demetrius Johnson or near it yet. But I haven't seen any type of this type of building, in corner adjustments, you know, since when I first initially started doing tape studies of Demetrius Johnson and, and, and paying attention to his corner work and this and that and paying attention to what he's doing inside the rounds and it is really impressive. He hasn't. That's why even though he hasn't fought the five rounds. That's why I'm confident. I think he could be one of the, be the, 
one of the best five round fighters right now. My my vote for best five round fighter is Valentina Shevchenko is going to be the next person to take that title. We'll see. We'll see how she goes from here. She definitely has a good chance to get a head start of it in her next matchup. But I believe Max Holloway could do that, and that's why even though it's a vacant sample size, I'm confident in it because again, as well as to the inefficient sample size, when has Max been tired? None. And again, looking, it doesn't look to be tired. Well, let's look at the numbers. Oh shit, the numbers are telling you the opposite. He's growing throughout the fight goes consistently from his past to his present. So again, there's a lot to unpack there. I'm sorry, but that is essentially why I see Max Holloway building for a fifth round finish or maybe late round finish. But I went, I said D- Dillashaw Burrell once, so I'll stick to it. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, if I'm wrong, I won't be mad because we get to see a great fucking fight. I haven't been excited for this fight, like, since I was a fucking, like, regular fan, you know? Working in the sport kind of jades you a bit, I'll be honest. We're going to raise you out this week to week. But this one gets me excited. I won't mind being wrong at all. Max has plenty of room to grow, and Aldo is a great who should be getting more respect. Like, I'm completely on board that argument as far as, like, the 13 seconds. I I am such a, uh, you know, older guys, people put in the work, looking at the overhead picture, giving credence to the real, the real, the technical, the low-key. Like, Aldo fits all these things that I love, love, love about fighters. Um, so in no way this is, you know, a bias pick. You know, would it be nice to see a Hawaiian champion? I'm not going to lie, of course. Is there a natural Hawaiian bias somewhere in, there? somewhere in there? I'm sure there is, which is, like I said at the beginning of that breakdown, why I really, before I even started, I was really praying, praying that I would end up on Jose Aldo's side because I feel like any if I pick Max Holloway, you know, it's going to be written off. But no, I did do it. Just a stupid breakdown. I can't really pull that out of my ass, can I? Regardless, I'm not attached to it too strongly either way. Uh, I don't think you should be personally or betting-wise. I think you should just crack a beer and enjoy this one. But I couldn't help but share a read that, that comes in so clear. And we are, well, wow, running crazy time. Um, by the way, uh, I'll just recap my props. Max inside the distance I played, actually, plus 308. You don't have to jump off me on that clip, just a half unit. Lopez by sub, plus 175. And Chagas inside the distance, plus 100. All for half units. Avoid, Pereira Moyle, Beltran, Figueredo. Alcantara, Kelleher, and uh, pieces for your parlay. You can use, with if you agree with me, you can insert however you like. Lopez, Marias, Gadelia. I played all three for the shits of it because I always put my money where my mouth is. That ended up like plus 105 money. Lines haven't moved that much. You can probably get that for that, that there. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for having me on your show earlier today. MMA Kelton, go follow uh, both at MMA Kelton, at Rockstar Z, add them to your reference list. You should have references to get all different angles. Uh, they watch our actually break them. They had a lot of uh, really good betting angles. Uh, they came they came correct on that. I felt good about the analysis, but they had some really good angles where I was, you know, one guy would pick on, pick the same fighter as me and another person would pick opposite, and they both still had better plays than I did, I felt. I mean, that's not my forte, so I'm, there's no, no, I have no problem admitting that, by the way. Yeah, I'm just I'm here for the analysis and the reference point. Thank you. Uh, it's 141. I'm getting the fuck out of here. This is way too long. Okay, uh, watch out. Don't get robbed. Watch your pockets. Careful with dudes wearing the wearing the. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I was gonna make a really bad wigger reference. It's been late. I'm gonna get the fuck out of here. Protect your neck. What is fuck? <laughs>